0: How I many guys are thankful to be able to worship together, man? Isn't that so cool? It's awesome. Grab a seat if you would. We're gonna get into the Word of God, and we're in this series called Upside Down, and we come to one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite Beatitudes, one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible, and it's found in Matthew chapter five and verse six. So if you have a Bible, you can go there. If not, it's on the screen. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after God things, after the things of God, because they are gonna be filled, they're gonna be satisfied with God things, with good things. Now, this is one of my Bibles I had as a teenager and this isn't the original color because I wore the cover off the Bible, okay? So there's no cover on this Bible. It's been worn off because I read it so much. I have other Bibles from when I was a teenager, multiple ones that I wore out, some that I would have to have rubber bands just to hold it all together, but I saved them and put them on my bookshelf because they, the, those, that season of my life in particular as a teenager was marked by hunger and thirst for God. I would read the stories of the miracles in Scripture. I'd read about guys like Elijah. How many you guys like? Elijah. I mean, he's a prophet of God. He's just a cool guy, you know? And you just see all these miracles that he did. There's 14 recorded miracles uh, of Elijah in Scripture. He did stuff like, I mean, the multiplication of oil. He parted water like Moses did, and he raised the dead. I mean, just a crazy life of following after God, this guy, Elijah. And then I came across his protege or his assistant named Elisha. And Elisha followed Elijah around for a long time, witnessing all these things. And as Elijah's getting ready to depart and to go into heaven, he asks Elisha, what should I do for you? What do you want? And watch what happens in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit upon me. Now, most of us, if we followed around a guy like Elijah, seeing all these miracles, all these great things, would say something like this. If I could just be half the man that Elijah was, that would be awesome. But you gotta love Elisha because he doesn't say, I wish I could just be half the man that Elijah was. He says, I wanna be twice the man that Elijah, that Elijah was. That's a cool guy right there, right? That's a guy who's hungering and thirsting after the things of God. And of course, in scripture, you see this, Elijah had 14 recorded miracles, but Elisha had similar miracles of multiplication of oil, of raising the dead, of parting a sea. And there are how many recorded miracles from Elisha? 28, you guessed it, 28. You guys can do math, you weren't even following along. You just let me do all the work there for you. But uh, the, it's, he had a double portion. And I love about that guy. And so I'd read that when I was a teenager, and I would just hunger and thirst after God. Wore out Bibles reading these stories in Scripture. And then I always loved the stories of historical revivals. Some of you guys have studied those, or maybe you've heard about those. I mean, guys like, like George Whitfield. You know, George Whitfield lived at the same time as Benjamin Franklin. And I always wanted to be able to preach someday like George Whitfield because George Whitfield, uh, Benjamin Franklin decided he would. He, he had a booming voice, and he decided he would clock how far away he could hear George Whitfield preach clearly. And he clocked it at a mile away. He could hear George Whitfield still preach. And so, I, as a young person, I was like, man, someday I'd love to be able to preach like George Whitfield. I hear the stories of John Wesley and guys like Smith Wigglesworth and Charles Finney and and the Welsh revival and hearing all these. things things, how, how the mules in the Welsh revival had to be retrained because the miners got saved, cleaned up their language. The mules no longer knew the commands anymore, and that's a true story, and and I just would hear whole cities that would be transformed and just having a hunger and a thirst after God. How many of you guys have heard some of those names before, and some of you guys have, some of you haven't, but I love the guy Charles Finney. I ha- actually had a book when I was a teenager, a young person, about Charles Finney. Charles Finney lived in the 1800s and he, uh, and some say that it's recorded that he saw over 500,000 people respond to an altar call to receive Christ. And they did some, that's amazing, right? They did some sort of documentation to try to figure out how many people continued to follow, to follow through with that decision. And they estimated that 400,000 of the 500,000 followed through. Now, That's a pretty good success rate in a response to an altar call. Uh, Somebody once told me that Billy Graham's uh, rate was 2%. Now, that, that just shows you nothing to take away from Billy Graham. That just shows you how much was happening with this guy, Charles Finney. It's an amazing thing. And he had such an anointing on his life, such powerful things that would happen. There was one day, and I've told this story before, but this fascinated me as a teenager, that this one day he was walking into his factory, just getting a tour, I think, on his day off. And he was walking through this factory, getting a tour uh, in New York of his brother who worked there or something, brother-in-law. And, and as he's walking in, some of the ladies who were working there noticed that it was Charles Finney. They began to kind of poke fun at him and make fun of him because they, they, they didn't really understand what he was doing and they began to laugh at him. And, and he had such an anointing on his life that he just looked over at them And just by looking over at them, it was like in that moment, the conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon these ladies. And the laughter turned to seriousness, which turned to tears, which turned to weeping, which turned to conviction, which turned to repentance. They began to just repent and to have revival right there. On that floor. Well, on the second floor of the factory, they didn't even know Charles Finney was there, but revival and conviction and spontaneous weeping began to break out on the second floor just by him being in the building because God was doing such a fascinating thing. And so I would hear those stories, and I would say, in my heart, I'd be like, why not, God? Like, you're the same God as you were back then. Why couldn't you do something like that? Why can't I see that? Why, why not? And, and that's like, that was kind of on my heart all the time. Like, why not? Like, what if? Why not? And I, and I posted out about uh, the election. Sorry, I'm bringing it up, guys. Um, but I posted out uh, this past week, because so many of us were praying for revival to be in President Trump's heart, Right? And I just posted, I said, well, if we could pray and believe that God could turn around and do something in him, couldn't God do the same thing in President Biden's heart? Couldn't revival happen in his heart? I mean, God, he's still, why not? He's a big enough God to do that, right? So we, we pray for that. We pray for that. Why not? But why not takes faith? Why not takes a hunger? Why not is something that we have to hunger for on the inside and we have to awaken that why not on the inside of us. And I was thinking of the story of a guy in the Old Testament named Naaman. Naaman was a guy who was mighty in, in war, mighty in valor, he was well-respected by everybody, but he had a problem, as you'll see. But you'll also see that he wakes up his why not. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verse one, it says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, he was a great man with his master and in high favor because of him, by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a, man, a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. See, you, know, you can have everything going on in life, right? And then there's a, an issue that kind of, kind of uh, holds you back from certain things. And he was a leper, and this was a big deal. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So what had happened is in one of the raids of Syria into Israel, they captured a servant girl and took her back. And this servant girl hears that Naaman has leprosy and she's reminded, she said, if only... My, my Lord could get back to Israel because there's a prophet in Israel. There's a guy in Israel who has anointing of God in his life. He, he's seen miracles. If, if he could somehow go there. And what happens is Naaman's why not wakes up. And he says, why not? This is crazy. I mean, he's well-respected by all these people. And it would take an enormous amount of humility and faith to be able to do this. But something wakes up in Naaman. His why not wakes up. And, and he goes over and he's like, man, I think it may be possible. So here's a question for you today. Have you lost your why not? See, every one of us has a line where our why not stops. Maybe our line, our why not, has shrunk in the last season. Maybe it's it's moved a little bit. Have we lost our fascination with the possibility of God? And so as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we hunger and thirst after these things in our heart, and for God... Here's a big question, and anybody who's studied revivals or studied moves of God, they ask this question, does God move and then our hearts stir, or do our hearts stir and then God moves? And I think there's a lot of tension in there, I'm not going to try to answer that question today, but here's what I will say, I will acknowledge this, that there is God's part and there's our part. Don't just think it's one-sided either way, there's God's part and then there's our part. So the question is, what is our part? What is our responsibility in all this? What's our responsibility to this scripture, the hunger and thirst after righteousness? What is our job? Well, to help us understand that, I I have to take you back to my house to help you get this, so take a look. All right, so I'm out here and I have dry cured this bacon for 10 days, and now I'm smoking this bacon. And how many of you guys love bacon? If you love bacon, your appetite is getting worked up right now. You can probably smell it through the screen right now, and you are getting red. I mean, you could probably taste this bacon right now. And it, it's because I mean, your appetite drives you to what you love. I mean, and if you love bacon, it. I mean, bacon makes everything better. And so, and. That's that's the that's the truth. Your appetite drives you to the thing you love. Now, it, we don't. When Jesus talks about hunger, I mean, we don't really know as much about hunger as we think we do. I mean, probably third world countries do. They experience real hunger. Uh, maybe the first century uh, people that he was talking to would have understood it a whole lot better. But they understood it in such a way that he talked about that loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, your neighbor as yourself, like that's the kind of hunger and thirst for righteousness. And they got it. I mean, they understood what that was like. And many times we don't understand what that is like. Our job, though, is to stir up this hunger for God on the inside of us, that our appetite, just like when we we get triggered with that, that our appetite for God is triggered. A.W. Tozer, though, says some pretty challenging things. And let me just read it to you. He says this. He said, revivals or any other spiritual gifts and graces come only to those who want them badly enough. Every man is as holy and as full of the Spirit as he wants to be. Whew. He may not be as full as he wishes he were, but he is most certainly as full as he wants to be. And then he goes on and he says, the problem is not to persuade God to fill us, but to want God sufficiently to permit him to do so. The average Christian is so cold and so contented with his wretched condition that there's no vacuum of desire into which the blessed spirit can rush in satisfying fullness. There's no vacuum of desire for God. There's no appetite for God. There's no place for God. Now, the, the problem is that if we can hunger and thirst after righteousness, then that means we can hunger and thirst after other things as well, which is what a lot of us end up doing. We hunger and thirst after the worldly things, after things that we think are going to satisfy, and they never satisfy. We create a vacuum in us that gets filled by other things. And so, how do you know whether you're really hungering for God or not? Well, how would you know? Like, let me just give you a test. Let me just give you something that you can try to, uh, you know, put. Up against your heart right now. How do you know whether you are really hungering and thirsting for God? And here's how you know: what you eat when you have options. That's how you know what you love. So if you don't have a diet going on right now, if you if you've already broken your re- resolution for this year, uh, if you aren't worrying about the calories, if you aren't worrying about money, if if you just have any options on the planet to eat something, that tells you what you love. That tells you what your appetite is for. And I say it all the time, like we don't generally drift into broccoli. We drift into chocolate. We drift into those things that we love. And that's the thing. We have to understand that what we drift into, what we go to spiritually, it's the same thing. That what we feed on when we're depressed, what we feed on when we have problems, what we feed on, where we go, what we eat, the food that we eat, if it's inner If it's news, if it's self-help, that tells us where we think our Savior is. We have to create a desire, a hunger for God, to stir up our appetite for God, to create a vacuum for God. That's our part, to create a hunger for God so that what we eat when we have options is only Him. It's only His way. We run to Him. What do you eat when you have options? What do you feed on when you have options? And you guys are a little bit, maybe you're not bacon eaters, because First Service, man, they were like, I mean, they were cheering, they were oohing and aah, and they were, I could tell, it was speaking their love language, so. Um, but that is true. Our appetite drives us to the things that we love. And so, this leads us to ask a question, a further question, because we all have, I, I, my hope is that we're asking that question, why not, but I hope that it leads us to ask a further question, and here's where it gets real. Why, it's not just why not, it's why not me? Like, first of all, you got two sides to that coin. Like, why isn't it happening in me? But then, why couldn't it happen in me? Why not me? This is where it gets personal. This is, you know, because the question isn't does God move or does God move in people? The question is will God move in you? Will God move in you? And that's the real question. And so let's go back to Naaman. So Naaman, the leper, he goes uh, to the house of, Eli- of Elijah, or Elisha to get healed. And it's, it's, there's some very interesting things that happens as he goes. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 9, it says, So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and then your skin will be restored, and you will be healed of your leprosy. So here he goes and he humbles himself. He says, why not? He goes to the man of God and the man of God gives him the the way to be healed. And you would think this would be amazing. Like everything is happening the way that it should, but watch what happens next. It says, but Naaman became angry and stalked away. Why would he be angry? Watch what happens. He says, well, I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. He said, and I expect him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord as God to heal me. And, and, and to do all these things, he says, aren't there other rivers besides the, the Jordan? I mean, aren't there cleaner rivers for me to dip in if, he, if I'm going to go through this? What is he doing? He, he, he's saying, there, I expected it to happen a certain way. How many times have we been following God and God gives us an opportunity to step into a why not, but we miss it because we thought it would happen a different way? He said, well, I thought he would come out to meet me. I thought he would wave his hand over it. I thought that he would stand up and call on the name of his God and I thought he would pick a different river. And, and it goes on, it goes further. It says, so he says, but his officers tried to reason with him and they said, sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? It's because just going out there and dipping in the river seven times isn't that hard, is it? Again, how many times did God ask us to do something very simple but we think because it's so simple that it can't be the thing that unlocks the next stage of our destiny. Like, like forgive this person. Well, that can't be holding me back from, from walking in your will or whatever it is. Right. And they're saying, listen, if he would have asked you to do all these other things, you would have done it because you would have thought since it's complicated, it must be God. But sometimes God asks us to do something very simple that unlocks the next piece for us. And he says, if you would have done something very difficult, you would have done that. And so, so certainly, can't you obey him when he simply says, go and wash and be cured? And so Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times. And every time I hear this story, I wonder if there was a temptation for Naaman at some point, like maybe after the third time when all of his people are watching him and he's supposed to be the guy of royalty and he's supposed to be the guy that's leading them all and there he is in the river going under once Going on. I wonder if after three times he thought, this is stupid. Like, this really is, like, come on, this is ridiculous. Look how I'm, or maybe he stopped at five and just walked away. No, he, had, he went all the way through. How many times do we stop short of some simple act that God asks us to do? Because we think, well, surely this can't be it. But God wants us to walk through with a simple obedience to activate our why not. And so he, di- he dipped in seven times. And this is why this is important. This is where it becomes personal for him because Naaman couldn't have someone else dip in the river for him. You realize that? He couldn't have one of his servants dip in the river for him. It had to be Naaman. It had to become personal. He couldn't outsource dipping in the river. He had to do it himself. This is where I said at the end of the services last week, you know, that, that scripture that many of us pray, which is that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear, heal the land. How many of you guys have heard that scripture? A lot of people are praying that many times over my life. I've heard a lot of people pray that. It's taken out of context. I'm not gonna preach that sermon right now. But uh, a lot of times we pray that. And here's, here's how a lot of times we, we take that. We, we think, well, if this nation would repent, God would heal the land. Or we think if the Republicans would repent, God would heal the land. If the Democrats would repent, God would heal. That's not what the scripture says. So even if you're gonna pray that scripture, pray it right. It says if my people humble themselves. That's you, that's me. That's personal. that's, That's taking it personal. I can't outsource repentance. I can't outsource my relationship with God. I can't outsource dipping in the river when God asks me to dip in the river. See, the why not has to go to the why not me. It has to become personal. You can't outsource it. And I'm afraid that these days where there's a temptation for us to have a surrogate relationship with God. Surrogate meaning the definition is to put in place of another, a substitute, a replacement for another in a specific role or office. You know, we, we are, have this temptation to outsource our relationship with God. To have these other things take the place or become a substitute for our direct relationship with God. Now, in life, we see this happen all the time. I mean, you can outsource a lot of things. You can have people come and, and uh, buy your groceries these days and come and they'll put them into your refrigerator for them. Like, how many of you guys know that's true? Like, some of us have done that, right? I mean, you can have somebody DoorDash and bring your food to you. You can outsource that. You can outsource somebody walking your dog, cleaning up after your dog. You can outsource a lot of things. But you can't outsource your relationship with God. You can't outsource a hunger for God. You can't outsource hungering and thirsting for righteousness for God. And what I'm saying is nothing can replace a firsthand relationship with God. And I'm afraid we're in danger of that. I want you to think about Abraham. Abraham didn't have a podcast to listen to. Abraham didn't have YouTube to watch. Abraham didn't have a service to go to. Abraham didn't even have a Bible to read. In fact, he didn't even have the Torah. And yet he is called the father of faith. How? Because he had a direct relationship with God. Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that we don't need to read our Bible. We, We do. We have a connection with God through that. But I'm saying, what if you didn't have a Bible? What kind of relationship with God would you have? You say, well, that's impossible because some of us have just, that's the only place is going through a podcast or a a sermon in a service. Like, that's our connection. And yet we have brothers and sisters in communist countries right now who don't even have a page of scripture and yet follow after Jesus without their whole heart because they have a real-time relationship with Jesus. What I'm saying is we've got to get back to a firsthand relationship with God. You can't outsource being filled. You can't outsource a hunger. You can't outsource these things. This is the hunger and thirst for righteousness. I had a, a pastor guy that, that I know, he's pastors in a large church, and uh, when it's you know, bad weather outside, it, the church is so large, they'll have people that will come and like, exercise in the church, like walking around, like a mall, you know, like you used to do that in the mall, right? And so uh, there's this guy that would come in all the time, and it was right after the election, sorry, bringing it up again, uh, it was right after the election, and uh, this guy looked a little bit different, like something had kind of rattled him. And so the pastor stopped him and he said, hey man, how, how are you doing and what, what's going on? It looks like something's getting you. And it was right after the election and, and he said, yeah, God woke me up in the middle of the night. And he said, it just messed with me. It's like God woke me up. And he said, really? Well, he said, well, what did God tell you? And here's what he said. He said, God told me, he said, if you give me half the energy you've given this election, watch what happens to your life. If you give me half the energy you've given to this election, watch what happens to your life. And again, I'm not saying we're not to be involved or any of those things, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Of course, God wants all of it, doesn't he? (laughs) God wants all of it. But what this is simply saying is that we need some more God woke me ups, don't we? I need some more God woke me ups. I need some more why not me's. I need some more hunger and thirst for God. I need to realign and to go back to a firsthand relationship with Jesus. And for some reason, as I was preparing this message, I felt, I felt led to share this story that I've only shared, I believe, two times publicly before this, uh, only shared this video, I believe, one time. And this video is a story of, it's what happened to me when I was on my sabbatical in 2018. And it was such an encounter with God that it marked, it really marked my life. And it may seem fantastic to some people as you hear this, but I, I want you to know, this is like, for me, this is like one of the times, like, in, that I would read about in scripture. Like I would hunger and thirst to have these kind of encounters with God and it marked me. So watch. So I've been in Montana for a few days at this point and I decided I may mean, have been hiking several times and I decided that I was gonna to go to this place on this particular day called Madison Buffalo Jump. And Madison Buffalo Jump is this bluff. It's like this, this rocky cliff that kind of comes up out of the ground. And in pre 1700s, before the Indians had horses and hunted a little bit different, they would use something like this. Actually, they would use this as a hunting tool. And some lucky guy would draw the short straw and he would have to put on some sort of animal skin and he would have to get up on top of the bluff and catch the eye of this buffalo herd, the lead buffalo, and start running as fast as he could towards the cliff's edge. And all of the buffalo would start chasing after this dude and he would run towards the cliff and he would jump off the cliff to a previously decided safe spot and all of the other, all the buffalo couldn't stop. And so they would end up falling off the cliff to their death and the ones who didn't die, they would finish off there at the bottom and and all of the women and would be all ready down there below. They would have all of the stuff ready to butcher all of the animal and, and they'd be saved for another winter. In fact, they'd have a big party that evening to celebrate that they were going to make it through another winter. It's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating place. And so I showed up at this place and, I, and I'm there at the bottom looking up at this bluff, just kind of in awe of the history and all of this, the stuff that goes along with it. But, but if you know me, being at the bottom was not enough. And so I decided I got to get up to the top and I got to see where the buffalo jumped off. And so I followed this lonely trail up to the top. I made my way all the way up to the top of this bluff and I began to look out. And as I looked out, it was the most, I mean, it was one of the most beautiful views I've ever seen. I mean, 360 mountains everywhere. I'm all alone. There's no one there at the top of this thing. There's no one there as far as the eye can see. And so I decided I'm going to take a chance that I might just have an encounter with God, that I might just hear God speak in some way. I mean, I've put myself in this position to do this, and I've been going for days, and And there's a thunderstorm off in the distance. I know I can't stay long. I don't want to get struck by lightning. I don't want to become a statistic. And so I know I've just got this window. And so I begin to pray. I begin to just worship God. I mean, no one else is there, I begin to just worship God. Finally, I get down on my knees and I begin to pray. I get down on my face and I just lay in the dirt and I'm just crying out to God. I'm just praying in the spirit. Finally, after a little bit, I get up because, you know, sometimes you feel that way, like you're just making something happen. And I just felt like I was numb still. I felt like I was just trying to make something happen. And finally, I just spoke out to God. I just cried out to God. You know, God doesn't care if you're honest with him. And I just cried out to God and I said, God, I feel like I've done everything I can do to put myself in a position to encounter you. I've done everything I can do. If you want something to happen in me, you're just going to have to do it. And I think when I finally came to the end of me, <laughs> that's when God can start to add him into there. And so, but I knew I had to get off, I was done. I had to get off before this rainstorm. And so I started to make my way back towards the path that went down. And, and as I began to go back there, I began to continue to pray. I continued to worship. I continued to pray, you know, to pray and to cry out for, the, for breakthrough, for anointing. And uh, as I did that, The Holy Spirit just quickened in me that verse that says the kingdom of God is within you. And instantly, and this is where it gets interesting, because instantly I saw inside of myself. And I began to get swallowed up in this vision. And I I began to just be drawn. The way I describe it is it was so slow and so fast at the same time. And I become captivated. And what I saw was this fear on the inside of me. It was like this blackened, hardened, chiseled, lava-like, planet-like sphere on the inside of me, just hovering there. And as I begin to watch this, I'm, at, I'm caught up in this, nothing else, I, I'm not aware of anything else at this point, and I'm caught up in this and I begin to watch this, all of a sudden cracks begin to emerge in this sphere. An immense light begins to shine through. And of course, I knew what it was. It was the kingdom of God just breaking through, an immense light. And then all of a sudden, without warning to me, this fear just explodes on the inside. And as it explodes, I just yell out, yes, God, just uncontrollably. And at the same time that this thing explodes, I black out. I mean, I physically, this wasn't just like a vision thing, I physically just black out because of the concussion of this kingdom atom bomb going off on the inside of me, and as I come to, I begin to just feel waves of the presence of God. It starts from the epicenter. It begins to work its way towards my head and towards my arms. and begins to eventually go towards my feet and it begins to just continue to wash over me as, you know, kind of like a, a ripple of water. Eventually will lose inertia, but it, it just kept going until finally subsided. And so I'm just standing there. and As you can imagine in this encounter with God, just in the presence of God, just drinking this up and its I finally began to come out of this and and the way I describe it is kind of like when you take your sunglasses off after you've had them on for a while and all the colors start to return to normal. And I just sat there drinking up the presence of God. And as I did, all of a sudden this other thought came into my mind. It was the rain. I don't want to be struck by lightning. And I've got to get off of this thing. And so I began to look for my path down. And my path where it should be, it was just gone, it wasn't there. And I began to look and finally after some time of of looking I found not the path that was wide and well used, I saw this little path that had just the grass just barely pushed down on it. And I'm like, I don't care, I'm going to follow this thing, it looked like it was going in the right direction. So I follow this thing. It looked like it had been used by a guy who was lost like me or some Indian in the 1700s before me. And I start to follow this thing. And finally, after several minutes, I encounter the original path that I should have been at all along. And listen, I'm not going to try to convince anybody. I'm not going to try to explain this. Here's what I know. Somehow, instantaneously, from my perspective, I traveled a half mile in an instant. I went from where. I knew I was to waking up and being at this other spot instantaneously. And, and I, I mean, it was like, why would God do that? God began to show me some things later about the well-known path versus the ancient path and the scripture out of Jeremiah chapter six that I'm not gonna go into now. All I know is the only thing that happened in that was the blackout, was that encounter with God. Somehow, I, I don't know how to explain all of what happened to me. But all I know is this, I had an encounter with God that has forever marked my life. We've got to get hungry for encountering God. We've got to get hungry for those type of encounters again. We've got to be hungry for the supernatural. We have to be hunger, have a hunger for the kingdom of God, have our appetite rise back up in us to have the kingdom of God on the inside, just exploding on the inside of us. I know some people are probably freaked out by that right now, right? Again, I'm not going to try to convince anybody of anything, and I'm not suggesting that we chase after encounters like that. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm simply saying there are times in our life where we ought to be able to look back that that they don't have to be fantastic or some crazy story like that, but where we can look back and we can say, "I had a moment with Jesus. I had a moment with Jesus." We have to hunger for those things once again. That I, I had a moment with Jesus. So, so Naaman, he he gets healed of his leprosy, which was an amazing thing. His why not turned into why not me. He got healed of his leprosy. And he wants to bless Eli- Elisha. He wants to give him some things. And Elisha says, No, I'm not gonna be able to take that. Like that was the power of God. I can't take that, you know, take any reward for that. And so he says, okay, instead, watch what happens. Very, very interesting scripture here. Second Kings chapter five, verse 17, it says, then Naaman said, all right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place and I will take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other God except for the Lord. What's interesting about this scripture is you gotta remember that, that Naaman traveled from, from Syria all the way over to Israel to the people of God, to the land of God and all that type of stuff, right? A miracle happens in Israel, and what Naaman wants to do is he wants to take two mule loads of earth back with him to his house. He, he Basically, here's what's going on. He, doesn't, he wanted to make sure that he didn't just get something from God and leave and move on and make his life the same way it was before. He wants, he wants to make sure that he changed his life and that he changed the way that he worshiped. So what he did is he took that two mule loads of earth, took it back to his house, spread it out on, on the ground so that the next time his knees hit the ground to pray, they'd hit the ground on miracle ground. On the same ground that the miracle happened. He wanted to change the way. He wanted to never forget that encounter with Jesus. He wanted to never forget and to never be the same. The next time his knees hit the ground to pray, he was gonna touch soil that God had done a miracle on. What a powerful reminder to us. What a powerful reminder to not outsource our relationship with God. What a powerful reminder to make sure that we have those firsthand relationships with God. So I'm gonna give you two challenges. Normally I give you three, I'll give you two, okay? Give you two and then we'll be done. We'll make it quick. The first thing is this, if you wanna have a hunger and thirst for God, here's my challenge for you, for our church specifically. And it's this, number one, recommit to spending time alone with Jesus. Not a sermon, not a service, Maybe not even with scriptures. After that, you can get with scriptures and do all that. But I'm just saying, just sit with Jesus. Just sit with Jesus. Because I think sometimes we've forgotten the importance of just being in relationship with Jesus. And some of us are feeling frustrated in this season for whatever reason. We feel an undertow of dissatisfaction. Maybe we can't even understand why. Why? We don't even understand why. When we were kids, we lived on 20 acres. We lived in a trailer, seven seven in the family. Lived in a single wide trailer when I was a kid. I remember that. And we lived, and we had well water. Now, sometimes we'd turn on the water, and you'd hold out your hand, and these like mineral pellets would come out of the water system. And sometimes the well would break. And I don't remember the setup, but the well was, there was something that was, I don't know, several feet down in the well that was like some sort of pump or some sort of switch or something. And one day the well broke. And so my dad wanted to lower my oldest brother, Jeremy, headfirst down the well to flip the switch or to do whatever. And so Jeremy was like, nope, I ain't doing that. So my dad comes to me. I'm the second born. He comes to me, and he's like, uh, I'm going to lower you down the well. I'm like, no, I ain't going down that well. And he went to the next one. He went to my brother, Ben. And Ben's like, okay. And so he, he grabs onto Ben's feet. And I remember this. And he lowers him headfirst down into the well, does whatever needs to be fixed in the well, and then the well started to work again. And I share that story because some of us have felt some dissatisfaction lately. And, and let me just give you a very clear answer why that is. Your well's broken. You're at the wrong well. You've been going to the wells of the world. The well's broken. Jesus addressed this when he was talking with a woman at the well. He he says in John chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, he had a real well right there. He's like, this is worldly things. These are worldly systems. This is the worldly way. If you come and drink of this, you're going to be thirsty again. You're going to be dissatisfied You're going to be frustrated. You're going to feel like things aren't working out because you keep coming to the worldly well. But he goes on, he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And here's the message for you. Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy your thirst. He's the only thing. He's the only thing. So Recommit to spending time alone with Jesus, just Jesus. Familiarize yourself with His voice once again. And the second thing is this we got to stretch out the borders of our why not. Because every one of us has a line where our why not ends and a surely not begins. We all have that moment where, like, and maybe in this last season, your why not has been closing in and your box has been getting a little bit smaller, your why not possibilities. We have to, once you've spent that time alone with Jesus, had relationship with Jesus in real time, then, then, then you know, the, the first three weeks of my sabbatical, uh, when I took a sabbatical, I didn't even read my Bible because I just wanted to be with Jesus. I know scripture, you know? I, so again, I'm not saying to not read scripture. I'm just saying I just wanted to connect with Jesus again in real time. And once you've done that, now we got to stretch out the borders of our why not. Because every one of us has that line where our why not stops and our surely not begins. So maybe you need to grab a book on past revivals. Maybe you need to do like I was doing as a teenager and start getting into these stories again. And maybe you need to to find yourself in the story somewhere. As you're reading the scripture, you begin to to see yourself in the story and think, why not? You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is Acts chapter 3. And and I don't have it on the screen, so I'll just read it to you. It's just one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer about 3 in the afternoon. and, And there was this crippled man who was there. And they'd bring him up to the gate called Beautiful every day, and he would beg. And he begs out to Peter and John and Peter, and Peter looks at him and says, listen, I don't have any gold or silver for you, but what I have is much better. And he takes up his hand and lifts him up and he gets healed and he comes to Jesus. That's such a fascinating story to me. But you know what I'll do sometimes? And maybe you should do this sometimes to, to move your why not. Maybe, maybe you need to read yourself in the story. Maybe it's like Joseph and Megan went to, we're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. And all of a sudden there was this, this beggar And they're they're looking to Joseph and Megan and Joseph looks at him and says, listen, I don't have any money on me, but what I do have is much better than that. And Joseph picks up his hand and he begins to walk. Maybe you need to spend some time reading yourself into the scripture and move your why not just a little bit. Because here's the thing, and and I'm almost done, I'm gonna have the worship team come at at this time. That's always the cue that I'm almost done, guys. So um, We serve the same God. As George Whitfield and John Wesley and Smith Wigglesworth and Charles Finney and all of these guys, we serve the same. We have the the same God as the people in Scripture of Elijah and Elisha. We have the same Holy Spirit as those in the Book of Acts, as Peter and John. God is still alive and at work today, and you serve the same God. And in fact, the Scripture says, if you want to believe the Scriptures, it says the same power that was in Jesus Christ is in you. It's in me. But our why not has slid so far where we don't even, we can't even really do anything with it. So my challenge for us is to stretch out the borders of our why not. let Let me wrap it up. Matthew 5, 6. Let me read it again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for you shall be satisfied. If you're experiencing dissatisfaction right now, If you're experiencing frustration right now, maybe it's because you've been hungering and thirsting after the wrong things. Maybe it's because we've been drinking from the wrong well. And it's time to come back, it's time to have a hunger and a thirst for God again. And so as you guys stand up with me, I'm gonna read a scripture, few scriptures in Psalm chapter 63 and I'm gonna Almost pray them over us. And maybe you can make this your prayer as I read this. Because I understand we all go through seasons in our life. Sometimes we go through dry seasons. It's okay to be in a dry season. But even in the dry season, there still needs to be something in us that says, God, I know I should hunger for you. And I don't have that hunger, but I want to have the hunger. (laughs) Like I... I know that I don't want you like I should, but I want to want you like I should. Like that's an okay prayer to pray. Because God takes where you are, he starts with what you give him and he multiplies it. But if you never give it to God, the multiplication can't ever happen. And so it's okay if you're in a dry season. It's okay if there's not that driving desire like there are in other seasons. But what we do need to do is to give God our want to want. And so I'm gonna pray that over us and you might even just just close your eyes and make this your prayer right now. I'm gonna pray Psalm chapter 63, verse one. It says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you and the, with the joyful lips when I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Lord, that's our prayer today. We want to hunger and thirst for you. Even if we find ourselves in a dry and weary land where it seems like there's no water, we know that you are the well that springs up, that never runs dry. Lord, I speak that over our church and over every single person here that we would recommit to having a firsthand relationship with you, with a a relationship in real time. Lord, we know we can't outsource our hunger. We can't outsource our, our hunger after you. We can't outsource our relationship with you. And so, Lord, we hunger after you, and I pray for those who want to hunger. Lord, let them be encouraged today. Let them be encouraged and strengthened today. Lord, help us to go to places with you that we've never been. Let this be a season in our life where we experience new things in you like we never have before. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship Him one more time.